When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, he was by the sea, and a great crowd gathered around him. There was a man named Jairus, a leader of the synagogue, who approached Jesus, fell down before him, and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she might be made well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed after him and pressed in on him. There was a woman who'd suffered from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians. She spent all she had, was no better, but rather grew worse. She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? The disciples said, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, who touched me? But Jesus looked around to see who'd done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came forth with fear and trembling. And she told Jesus the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house, and they said to the leader of the synagogue, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Overhearing them, though, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And then he allowed only Peter and James and John, the brother of James, to follow him. And as he approached the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a great commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And as he entered the house, he said to the people, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child's not dead, only sleeping. And they laughed at him. And then Jesus put them all out of the house and he took with him the father and the mother of the child and those who'd come along with him into the place where the girl was. He took the girl by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl got up and she began to walk about. And the people were filled with amazement at this. And Jesus ordered them sternly that they shouldn't say anything to anyone about it. And then he told them to give the girl something to eat. The gospel of the Lord. So the woman in this morning's gospel reminded me of something I read recently. And the author, who I've seen in a couple different ways and places on TV, social media, and whatnot recently. Jane Marshifsky is her name. I think that's how you say it. She's a 30-something-year-old cancer survivor from Zanesville, Ohio. She's had the big, ugly, scary, evil cancer diagnosis three times already, 
at her young age, and she has been given a 2% chance of survival. Like the woman in this morning's gospel, you might say, she has endured much under many physicians. She has spent all she has. She's not getting better. She's only growing worse. She has a 2% chance of survival, like I said. Her husband left her in the middle of this, too. Now, all of that is hard to believe if you've watched her or seen her sing on America's Got Talent um, or be interviewed on any number of television shows as she's been making her rounds lately. She's full of wisdom and she's full of life and she's full of joy and she's full of hope because of and in spite of all that she has endured. And she wrote something even more profound to me than her song on America's Got Talent. It's called God is on the bathroom floor. I'm not going to read all of it, but portions of it made me think that Jane and this woman from Mark's gospel this morning are kindred spirits. This is what she wrote. I spent three months propped against the wall. On nights that I couldn't sleep, I laid in the tub like an insect, staring at my reflection in the shower knob. I vomited until I was hollow. I rolled up under my robe on the tile. The bathroom floor became my place to hide where I could scream and be ugly, where I could sob and spit and eventually doze off, happy to be asleep, even with my head on the toilet. I've had cancer three times now, and I've barely passed 30 there are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet with God that he will say, I disappointed him, or I offended him, or I failed him. Maybe he'll say, I just never learned the lesson, or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this, he can never say, he did not know me. I am God's downstairs neighbor, banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times, I sulk outside until he opens the door for me himself. It's that last bit that brought to mind the nameless woman from Mark's gospel. She was like God's downstairs neighbor too. Not banging on the ceiling with a broomstick, but pushing her way through the crowd to get her hands on the cloak of Jesus. And without a whole lot of work, I'm guessing, we can see or maybe we can at least imagine where the woman in this morning's gospel and where Jairus too, that leader of the synagogue, are coming from. Can't we? Who among us has not been there ourselves or loved someone who is or has been so sick or scared 
or struggling. Sick for years, I mean. Sick and tired of wrong or insufficient answers or diagnoses or treatments. Sick and fed up with expensive doctor's visits that may or may not work. Sick and out of money. Sick and out of energy. Sick and out of patience. Sick and out of time for some. And I think the gift and the good news of this morning's gospel isn't just in the hemorrhage that stopped or even in the little girl who got up and walked again. Those are beautiful, hopeful, life-giving things for sure. But you and I know not everyone wins that lottery. For what it's worth, I decided this week, maybe that's why Jesus is always telling people, sternly ordering them, not to tell anything to others about his miracles and his healings. Because Jesus was sensitive and kind and wise. And Jesus knew those kind of miracles and that kind of healing wouldn't happen for everyone all the time. So don't boast about it. Don't brag about it. About how your prayers got answered, leaving someone else to wonder why theirs did not. Just accept it. Be grateful for it. Be joyful about it. Be humble about it. And live differently because of it. But quietly, perhaps. But I digress. I think the gift and the good news of this morning's gospel... And in Jane Marshevsky's story, too, is the way Jesus receives and entertains those in such desperate need in the first place, and no matter what. Even Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, was welcomed by Jesus. As a leader of the synagogue, Jairus was supposed to be suspicious of Jesus, if not downright opposed to everything he was up to in those days. Still, he stated his case, he made his plea, and Jesus followed him home, no questions asked. And along the way, then, Jesus gets interrupted by this unclean woman, who he could just as well have ignored or dismissed or driven away, even, for having the nerve to soil him with her unclean, unwelcome, uninvited touch. But he calls her out instead. He announces her healing for all to see. And then he sends her home blessed and better. In spite of what the crowds might have wondered about her or wondered about him because of the whole interaction. In other words, it would have been easier. It would have been expected. It would have been acceptable for Jesus to have nothing to do with either of these two who approached him that day as he went about his business. But Jesus chose otherwise. And we can be grateful for the kind of grace that that portends for each of us just the same. And Jane Marshevsky tells a similar story, not of a miraculous healing or of being raised from the dead or deep sleep even or whatever was going on with Jairus' daughter, 
But she tells of the desperate ways she's come looking for God's grace in the middle of her sickness and in her struggles, and that she somehow has found it. She wrote this too. I've called God a cheat and a liar, and I meant it. I've told him I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise and sunset. Call me bitter if you want to, that's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. For I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale, laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad too. And then she writes about how she's learned to see God's grace in spite of herself and in spite of her struggles and in spite of all this sickness. She says, I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees. In my mother's crooked hands. In the blanket my friend left for me. In the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I asked for. But it's mercy nonetheless. And I learn a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but I will repeat it until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I am the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden for me. Even on days when I'm not so sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy and I can't really explain it, but God is in there even now. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough. And it's true. Look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. Unlike the woman in the gospel this morning, whose social status was such that she didn't even get a name, Jane Marshevsky has two names worth knowing about. Jane also goes by a stage name, Nightbird. And she tells the story of how she woke once in the middle of the night to birds singing in the dark from a tree outside her window. She thought she was dreaming. She'd heard it a couple times before, but this time it woke her up. It didn't make sense that it was too early for them to be singing because it was still too dark outside. The sun hadn't risen yet, but the birds were singing anyway, like they knew the sun was coming. Hence, her new name, Nightbird. And that's the kind of faith we long for, right? The faith of the woman in the, with the courage to approach Jesus in the crowd. The faith of the man who dared that Jesus follow him home. The faith of Jane Murkowski, 
God's downstairs neighbor who bangs on the ceiling to get God's attention, who approaches God with songs and curses and apologies and hard questions. The faith of birds who sing in the dark because they know somehow that the sun is coming. So let us be bold and brazen about our desire and our need for God's grace in our lives, especially when it seems too dark to sing or that we aren't worth the bother or when we're too tired to find the words. Let's not be shy about asking. Let's not pretend we can live or die without it. God's grace, I mean. Let's not pretend we deserve it either, of course. But let's go out of our way, nonetheless. Let's fight the crowds and fight our pride and fight our fear and trembling, even. And let's see what God does with our humility and with our gratitude and with our faith, whatever we can muster of it, however much of it or however little might be left. God only knows what that might yield. And it may not be what we're looking for. But we will always be God's. Chosen, blessed, sought after, as a bird who sings in the night sees it. And that will always be enough. Amen. Amen.